We start in Washington, D.C., where federal judge Tanya Chutkin denied Donald Trump's motion to recuse her in the federal criminal case involving Trump's attempt to overthrow the results of the free and fair election in 2020. Then special counsel Jack Smith filed a blistering reply brief calling out Donald Trump's threat to execute General Mark Milley and calling out Trump brandishing a gun in violation of the terms of his release. Judge Chutkin has set a hearing date in mid-October. Next, we go to New York, where a state court judge, Arthur Ngoron, granted partial summary judgment in favor of New York Attorney General Letitia James against Donald Trump, finding that Donald Trump, his adult kids, Don Jr. and Eric, and all of their businesses engaged in a systematic fraud and ordered that the Trump Organization business licenses be canceled and the Trump Organizations be dissolved. In other words, the corporate death penalty. But we are not done there. The Appellate Division First Department denied Donald Trump's stay request to delay the trial in this matter. So trial will start on October 2nd on the remaining causes of action and issues against Donald Trump and other defendants, for example, disgorgement, which is the monetary damages, how many hundreds of millions of dollars or potentially even billions of dollars will Donald Trump have to repay for all of the fraud he has committed over these years? And in a filing against Michael Cohen in the Cohen uh, Trump case, Trump claims he's going to be attending the New York Attorney General trial the first week. But I don't know, Popak, I think that he's a liar about everything, including that. And finally, we go to Georgia, the peach state where things aren't very peachy for Donald Trump and his co-defendants as the Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis and her team have been flawless. One of Donald Trump's co-defendants in the RICO case has pled guilty just in time to testify at the first trial involving other co-defendants of Donald Trump, Ken Chesborough and Sidney Powell, which is set to take place in October, right around the corner. Also, you had one of Donald Trump's co-defendants, Jeff Clark's removal request to federal court was denied and Judge McAfee, the state court judge, has become a commanding law and order presence in the courtroom. Washington, D.C., New York, Georgia, justice across America, just in time. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Popak. Popak, did you ever think uh, that on our legal AF shows, we would be covering a situation where a special counsel would have to call out the behavior of a former president who threatens to execute America's top military official while brandishing a gun in violation of the terms of the indictment release? No, I think um, what we're seeing at this intersection of law politics, and now I've added the corner of justice that we, you and I sit at along with Karen, as we're seeing Trump and his accomplices, his enablers, his attorneys being brought to justice, and if not not to their knees, for what he allegedly did. If 2023 was the year of investigations and indictments, 2024 will be the year of criminal trials. But we're we're in, you said, you said October 2nd, Monday. You know, we're recording on a Saturday. Monday is a is a major trial that we've given a lot of attention to. We'll talk about it here on the podcast from the New York Attorney General. 
but could be the singularly most devastating event in Donald Trump's life short of going to jail, which is the complete and utter destruction of his business empire and his ability not just to disgorge money that he's already made illegally, which is that somewhere between $250 million and a billion dollars, depending upon interest rate, prejudgment interest rates, and the amount that she actually goes for, New York Attorney General Tisha James and her team at the trial that starts on Monday, but also his ability and his family's ability to generate new money on a go-forward basis. It's not just about taking money out of his bank account to pay to the victims and to the people of the state of New York. It, it could cripple his ability to ever raise or make another dollar again. That's how serious that particular case is. And that stands in stark contrast to what happens in criminal court. Criminal court, we want to see him behind bars if he is guilty, for sure, for various periods of time, depending upon the laws that he's violated. But the thing that the courts can't do, except in areas of restitution to bring money back to victims, and the, the crimes we're talking about here in the election cases, the, the victims are the American people, so it's not really a money case in that way. It's a democracy case. But in the in the civil fraud type cases, like the ones brought by New York Attorney General, that's just money and blowing a hole in the entire empire of Donald J. Trump. You make a great point. You know, when you talk about what are people afraid about at the kind of high level decision where people have discretion? Do I prosecute? Do I not prosecute? And what the overall kind of fears are. Look, if we hold certain people accountable, what's the consequence going to be? And I think what we are seeing is number one, the importance of holding people accountable. That is paramount. And we see prosecutors at the federal level and state level doing that. What we also see, though, is the consequence of that. So Donald Trump threatening to execute a military leader, Donald Trump brandishing a weapon, Donald Trump ordering MAGA Republicans in the House of Representatives to shut down our government to inflict pain and suffering on this country, to inflict chaos and division in this country. Make no mistake, the root of that is that fascism is be, being held accountable and it is lashing out. It wants to cause suffering. It wants to cause pain. That is what we are seeing right now. And it is so vitally important that from the perspective of justice and accountability, we stay the course. Let's talk about what happened in Washington, D.C., Michael Popak, where we've covered on prior episodes of Legal AF the various uh, motions, oppositions, reply briefs where Donald Trump tried to get Judge Tanya Chutkin recused. Donald Trump argued bizarrely and frivolously that intrajudicial statements made by Judge Tanya Chutkin during sentencing of insurrectionists constituted 
he says extrajudicial statements because Donald Trump said that she must have conducted research on me through reading newspaper articles and therefore formed a bias against me and I would be prejudiced if she remained the judge. Notably, Donald Trump waited to file his recusal motion until after Judge Chutkin set a trial date for March of 2024. Special counsel Jack Smith had filed an opposition stating these are intrajudicial statements. Judge Chutkin was duty-bound in these various other cases she presides over as a federal judge that involved insurrectionists who argued that they were just simply following Donald Trump's orders to address what the insurrectionists who were being sentenced were arguing to her. And Judge Chutkin rejected those arguments, but simply restated and acknowledged the arguments that were being made. She performed her job that she was duty-bound to perform. There is no evidence at all that there would be prejudice to Donald Trump. So that was basically the briefing. What was the ruling, Michael Popak? Yeah, the ruling was that she is not going to recuse or disqualify herself, which is what you and I had accurately predicted, because there's no grounds to do it. You've got to show such a level of bias and the the inability of the defendant to get a fair trial in front of a judge because she's made up her mind about that particular case before she's entered the room. And there's just no evidence to suggest that Tanya Chutkin, a very well-respected jurist who, who has, along with dozens of other D.C. Circuit Court judges, has been presiding over, you know, we've been talking about the 1,500 arrests uh, and more to come by the Department of Justice against Jan 6 insurrectionists and the hundreds that have been brought to trial, either through a bench trial, meaning in front of a judge like Judge Chutkin, or through uh, a jury trial. And then the next phase of that three or four months later is the sentencing of that person under the federal sentencing guidelines with which the judge controls. Um, and so there's plenty of opportunity for the judges before she even, this particular judge or any judge on the DC circuit, because if, if she's disqualified, they'd all be disqualified because she hasn't done anything differently than all the others that are presiding over the same cases involving Jan 6 insurrectionists, many of whom tried to blame their their fearless cult leader, Donald Trump, for the reasons that they were an insurrectionist, um, either at trial or during their sentencing to try to get leniency from the judge. So unless you have the, the um, law, uh, the precedent on your side to disqualify the entire bench of the D.C. Circuit Court and get the case transferred somewhere else, which is not happening for Donald Trump, then you are going to have a judge who has some sort of knowledge from prior cases that she's not she's not a computer. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not required to delete her memory banks before she goes into the case with you um, or lobotomize herself or take some sort of amnesia drug. She's allowed to take with her from case to case the information or knowledge that she's obtained, as long as she doesn't use it against the witness or the defendant in this case um, and hold it against him and prejudge the case in front of her for Donald Trump. That she made in two sentencing decisions for a guy, an insurrectionist named Palmer and an insurrectionist named Priola in commenting back to, to arguments made by their lawyers about Donald Trump and other people you know, above the pay grade of their insurrectionist clients, making them do it, she's allowed to make those statements. And it, it comes from inside the court, meaning what you said earlier, Ben, intra 
judicial statements. And intrajudicial statements are sort of specially protected, magically protected. You get to do and say a lot of things within a courtroom, both on both the litigant side and the judge side, and they are protected through various immunities and privileges. And if you say something outside, if she's at a cocktail party and she says something to somebody next to her about, oh, this Trump guy's He's toast. I'm ready. I don't even need a trial. All right. Then we would all here on Legal AF support her being removed if she didn't voluntarily do it. But that's not the case. It did give the judge the opportunity not only to kind of flex her muscles a little bit to remind the um, defendant, Donald Trump, who's in charge here, who sits on the higher level bench above all in a courtroom, and that's a federal or any kind of judge, who has the American flag behind them and that, and who, who is there to do justice. That's the judge, not the former number 45. And I liked in the in her order, Ben, I know there's a lot of things in it, I'm sure you liked, but what I liked particularly was her comparison to the Watergate era. I talk a lot about it here on Legal AF to remind people a little bit of a history. This is not the first corrupt president. It is the most corrupt former president we've ever had, but not the only corrupt president we've ever had that was uh, staring down the barrel of criminal indictment and had many people in his administration, including his attorney general, go to jail. That that uh, that other honor, below, dishonor, belongs to Richard Nixon. But she said, look, there were plenty of Nixon administration people and others who were brought before the D.C. Circuit Court in the 1970s, 73, 74, and 75, and including Judge Sirica, a lion of the bench, um, both in D.C. and other places, who presided over a number of these cases. And eventually, they tried to get rid of Sirica because, like not in the same way Trump doesn't want Chutkin, Sirica was very hard on the Watergate defendants and they all got convicted. So they couldn't wait to get rid of him. And so they argued, well, he's developing opinions and biases as he's ruling on these other cases. And there is very good precedent that she cites, and if I can find it without fumbling around here, um, that she cites as the reason, the very reason she should not uh, uh, allow a defendant to weaponize the motion to disqualify. In other words, uh, get rid of just whoever you want. So she said in the Haldeman case, which was the attorney general, like Bill Barr, right, that we keep talking about, but for Nixon, she said in that case, U.S. versus Haldeman, which is very instructive, the circuit reviewed a recusal motion against District Judge Sirica filed by defendants who were being prosecuted for their participation in the Watergate conspiracy. The judge goes on to say here on page 15, the motion relied in relevant part on statements made by Judge Sirica in prior cases involving other Watergate defendants. Sounds almost on all fours of what we're talking about here, Ben. In particular, Judge Sirica had during those earlier proceedings, quote, expressed a belief that criminal liability extended beyond the seven persons there charged and even suggested persons whom the prosecutors might consider calling before the grand jury because they're the judge was telling the prosecutors, you know, your grand jury's still open. Why don't you bring a few of these people in? The circuit, the circuit affirmed Judge Sirica's decision not to recuse himself, holding that his statements did not, quote, reflect a disqualifying state of mind and observing that no disabling prejudice can be extracted from dignified, though persistent judicial efforts to bring everyone responsible for Watergate to book. That is what she's hanging her hat on. She's going to bring all responsible, including the guy in front of her, Donald Trump. If it's if the evidence 
if the evidence says that, she's going to bring him to book and have the jury do it. And we're going to talk next about all the things that Donald Trump is doing to try to screw up the jury process. Absolutely. And Judge Chutkin set a hearing for October 16, 2023 at 10 a.m. to address Special Counsel Jack Smith's uh, request for a limited gag order. It's actually phrased as a limitation on extrajudicial threats to prosecutors, to the judge, and to witnesses. Now, you would think it would be a relatively non-controversial topic that all parties should stipulate that extrajudicial threats against the judge, the prosecutor, and witnesses should not take place. But Donald Trump opposed that motion. And in what read more like a fascist press release than an opposition, Donald Trump's lawyers, and here is the baffling thing. You know, these lawyers who, well, it's not because all of Donald Trump's lawyers completely and utterly sacrificed their reputation for the make attorneys, get attorneys crew, but it still shocks me that lawyers, people who have a bar card, people who had decent reputations before this would file things that say Donald Trump has never made a threat before. Donald Trump has never intimidated anybody before, and that this is the Biden administration attacking Donald Trump. That's what they put in this motion. And in the initial filing by special counsel Jack Smith, he had all the receipts that existed up until the point of the filing for the motion for this limited gag order. So where Donald Trump says, I'm coming after you if you come after me, or saying things like little Mike Pence has gone to the dark side. Well, since the opposition brief, there is right there. If you go after me, I'm coming after you. Since the opposition brief was filed by Trump's lawyers, and even after Judge Chutkin set this hearing for October 16, 2023, Donald Trump engaged in more threats, and special counsel Jack Smith filed a reply brief that included such things as the threat to execute Mark Milley, America's former top general, and a witness in the case. That needs to be important. A witness who's named in the indictment that was unsealed before Judge Chutkin, Donald Trump threatened to execute him and said to be continued with the threat of execution. Also, special counsel Jack Smith in a footnote, why you got to read the footnote, folks, also showed the photograph and mentioned how Donald Trump held this gun while he was in South Carolina. And that would be a violation as well of the terms of release. And so I may, I want to hear your thoughts on this hearing, but I have no doubt what Judge Chutkin's going to do on October 16, 2023 is go to Trump's lawyers and say, really, you, you're okay with this? You think this is not a threat? You think this is not a threat? You think this is not a threat? You think these types of communications are appropriate? Get them in a courtroom. And as we say here all the time on Legal AF, Put those lawyers right there, question them, grill them, and let's see what they have to say when they are in a place where accountability and facts actually matter. Popak, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think they're in deep, deep crap. Um, the last time we saw a judge force people to go to a courtroom for what could be a dress down before a, um, a very serious adverse ruling was Judge Beryl Howell 
who made um, Rudy Giuliani and his lawyer not just phone it in, not just zoom it in on a hearing. Because you know, you know, just for, just to let people know, you know, Ben and I practice, Karen and I practice, we all practice, but a lot of things post COVID we're able to do by Zoom. I just did a trial last week in New York State Supreme, the court we're going to talk about related to Judge Angoron and Donald Trump. I did that by, by, by a Zoom platform, you know, with an opening statement and cross-examining key witnesses. And so um, for a federal judge these days to say, no, no, I want to see you in my courtroom. I'll be up on the bench. You'd be down at counsel table and let's talk about what's going on. That's not a great sign for them. They don't have to bring Donald Trump with them although she could have ordered that as well, to be frank. But she wants the officers of the court who have sworn a duty, as you said, Ben, they carry a bar card. I was going to try to find my bar card during a break and show people what it looks like, at least for one of the bars for which I'm a member. Um, They have a lot of problems here. As you and I accurately predicted in various hot takes on Legal AF, the Kristen Welker interview on Meet the Press, both the nine minutes that was ex- that was edited out that we've now seen. I did a hot take on the nine minutes, missing nine minutes, and at least two of those minutes are relevant to Jack Smith and Fawny Willis's prosecutions. Although I don't think they actually cited, they cited the Welker interview for sure. Um, I don't know if they cited the missing, what I called the missing two minutes. And then, you know, I did a hot take and you did a follow-up on on General Mark Milley, who just retired with a powerful, I know it's up on the Midas Touch Network, a powerful speech, many parts of it directed at Donald Trump with Joe Biden, President Biden sitting up on the stage as he retired after 44 years of service with all the military brass behind him and Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, who was... Um, one of his colleagues in armed uh, in uh, in the wartime uh, during Iraq and Iran, he said, and I know you. I think you're showing the clip on the Midas Touch Network. Mark Milley, General Milley, said um, that the, uh, the military doesn't serve any individual. It doesn't serve you know a cult. It doesn't serve um, a, a religion. It serves the U.S. Constitution only, and it won't bow to any dictator or wannabe, and he emphasized and leaned into wannabe, wannabe dictator. And that was Donald Trump. And that was his payback for Donald Trump. Mark Milley is not just a witness in the DC case, the election interference case. Um, He's also a witness in the Mar-a-Lago case, but because everybody should remember that in Bedminster, it was the reason that Donald Trump has a, a new charge against him related to Bedminster and his golf course is because to pay back Mark Milley for an article that had appeared at the time in the New Yorker magazine, in which Mark Milley said that the thing that stood between the, the United States um, and a possible nuclear war with China was Mark Milley himself making a phone call to his counterpart in China, telling him, don't worry, Donald Trump's finger is not hovering over the nuclear button. We got this as the military. An extraordinary statement. And of course, Donald Trump hated that. Subsequently, we just had an article, I did a hot take on it, in the Atlantic uh, magazine in which called The Patriot, in which Mark Milley um, is, is declared by the editor and chief of the Atlantic magazine to have done more to protect democracy than any American probably ever has, at least in recent history, and certainly more than any other of the 20 joint chiefs of staff have done. He's a witness in Bedminster because there you have Donald Trump pointing to a classified top secret documents that he he withheld 
kept, stole, and then was showing it to people to say, uh, to try to undermine Mark Milley with war maps and other, that was him, not me, and uh, pointing to things, and that's why he's been indicted. So you got Mark Milley, certainly a witness of Mar-a-Lago, but they're not going to run to Cannon for anything because Cannon is not considering a gag order. Chutkin has been clear, Judge Chutkin has been clear from the very beginning, from the get-go. The administration of justice is her number one and only priority. Everything else takes a back seat. That includes the First Amendment rights of somebody like Donald Trump, even if he's running for office. She's gone as far as to say in prior hearings, I don't care what his day job is. I don't care that he's running for office. I have the administration of justice to protect. And that's what the Department of Justice is leaning into through Jack Smith in their filings. And Donald Trump, as you and I predicted, is just handing them gift after gift. The Welker interview, calling for the assassination and hanging of Mark Milley, going after Mike Pence, going after Bill Barr. These are people that he knows are witnesses in the case. And Jack Smith said in his reply brief, which is really a whole nother brief, it's really, yes, it's a reply based on new evidence, but it's like almost new argument, a revised argument, uh, which they can really lean into, which is to say, look, we get that he's running for office, but there is no criminal defendant that would be allowed to do what Donald Trump is doing, hint, hint, judge, make it stop. And reminding the court, we're only asking for two very limited things. You and I talk about it like the gag order. The first gag, the first part of it is to stop outside courthouse statements being made by Donald Trump and anybody associated with him to, to attack jurors, future jurors, the, not, not even the judge, the prosecutors and witnesses seems eminently reasonable, got a lot more reasonable because Donald Trump just asked for the hanging and assassination of a former five-star, four-star general who's a witness in the case. Um, also asked that when we get around to doing a jury study to figure out who should be on the jury pool, that be supervised by the judge. It is reasonable. And the judge is going to find that. And one last thing about what the judge is going to do with the lawyers in front of them for Donald Trump who I'm sure she's not going to be happy about, putting aside that there's been attacks and she knows about it, although it wasn't in Jack's papers, on Fawny Willis and her prosecutor team in Georgia, racial violent attacks, calls for assassination, home addresses being given out. The judge, Chutkin, we know that there's been an attempt, a phone call made to her chambers by a crazy person who's now been picked up by the Secret Service and by the FBI threatening to kill her and her staff. So she knows that there is this this atmosphere generated by Donald Trump to try to corrupt the justice system, um, and she can't allow that. She said in the past, and I want to see how this comes, I want to get your opinion on it, if it comes up in this hearing. She has said in the past, basically, if I can't figure out a way to control this this person, the Donald Trump that's in front of me with orders, then I'm going to speed up the trial even faster. Now, she set a March trial date which left a lot of us court observers head spinning, like, wow, that's that's really fast given the size, the mega size of this case. So the question for you is, well, you and I agree, she's going to sanction him. And I think she's going to enter this order, this reasonable order, may add a couple of things to it. Do you think she does anything with the trial date given the reality is you can't control Donald Trump unless you're willing to find him in, find him in contempt and put him in the federal detention center? I don't, and here's why. I think the March 2024 trial date is 
a pretty aggressive trial date to begin with and necessitated because of Donald Trump's behavior and his threats. But certainly as Donald Trump tries delay tactics, like he just filed a brief also before Judge Chutkin to try to delay dispositive motion briefings by 60 days from an October deadline to December deadline, it's very easy for her now to reject things like that and say, I warned you. I told you what I was going to do. I'm not I'm not extending any deadlines and you are to blame for that for your behavior. It is so vitally important that that trial take place um, in March of 2024 and not be moved. I'd like to have it go sooner, but any movement of that date that can actually potentially backfire, I would worry about and and then can, you know, he try to seek an appeal and then utilize that for delay. So I'm happy with the March date. Justice necessitates that March date. And I want to say this as we move on to the next segment. I don't want anybody to ever get numb about some of those things that we were saying in that first segment. That You have Donald Trump threatening to kill an American hero, an American military general. And by the way, there's other posts where Donald Trump then attacks his former Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, as a woke fool. Folks, there's none of this behavior is normal. Do not be numb by it. And please make sure that you are educating others around you. I know legacy media is not doing its job to shed a light. It's annoying that that's the case, but it doesn't matter. They're worthless at this point. The most important thing is you and your ability to register voters, to share the message, to subscribe to the show, to share the show. If you want assistance in how you message it, just tell people to watch this first segment and we're just messaging it based on the facts and what went down. We have a lot more show. I want to remind everybody as well about our vibrant Patreon community. We're on our way to 5,000 patrons. And if you want to know, is it worth it to join patreon.com slash Midas Touch, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. Just look in the comments below. I would tell all of our patrons who are here, Share if you like that experience, if you think the content there is worth it. We spend a lot of time building that. We don't have outside investors on the Midas Touch Network, so one of the ways we build it is through our Patreon, and we have exclusive content like after shows. You can learn the origin story of Michael Popak, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, myself. We share a lot of very candid, candid stories there, show other exclusive footage, and it helps grow the platform. That's patreon.com slash Midas Touch, and look in the chat, and you can see others sharing their experience. We'll take a quick break. When we get back. Let's talk about the corporate death penalty order handed handed down by Judge Arthur and Gora. Let's take a quick break. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bedsheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature 
all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash legal AF to try Miracle made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo legal AF at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash legalaf and use the code legalaf to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash legalaf to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health and performance in our days. Having a consistent nighttime routine is non-negotiable. I know in my own life when I don't get enough sleep, not only am I irritable and grouchy, but my performance in work or in life suffers greatly. Introducing Beam Dream. You know we've been raving about Beam's Dream Powder, their healthy hot cocoa for sleep. And today... Our listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like sea salt caramel, cinnamon cocoa, and chocolate peanut butter. Better sleep has never tasted better. Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, melatonin, and nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. A recent clinical study revealed Dream helped 93% of users wake up feeling more refreshed, and 93% reported that Dream helped them get a more restful night's sleep. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and enjoy before bedtime. I've personally tried Beam Dream, and it lived up to the hype. First off, it was delicious and just a lovely nighttime routine. And secondly, and most importantly, it helped me fall asleep and stay asleep. The next day, I woke up ready and eager to take on all life's challenges and tasks. Find out why Forbes and New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes and business professionals. If you want to try Beam's best-selling dream powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash legalaf and use code legalaf at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash legalaf and use code legalaf for up to 40% off. Welcome back to Legal AF. We are live 
Thank you to our sponsors for supporting our unapologetically pro-democracy content. We go from Washington, D.C. to New York, where state court judge Arthur Ngoron granted partial summary judgment in favor of New York Attorney General Letitia James in the civil fraud case against Donald Trump, his adult kids, Eric and Don Jr., and the various Trump-related businesses, including the Trump Trust, the Trump Organization and the various other business entities that are operated by the Trumps. This order by Judge Ngoron finding systematic fraud over the period of time covered by the statute of limitations uh, resulted in a requirement that a few things now take place. Number one, the cancellation of Donald Trump and the Trump uh, business licenses. Number two, an independent monitor will be appointed to oversee the dissolution of the businesses with the existing independent monitor to continue to start that work forthwith. And that process based on this order will start immediately. Folks, the disinformation began right away by Donald Trump and his adult kids. They said, Judge Ngoron ruled that like Mar-a-Lago is only worth uh, $18 million and it's clearly worth a billion. Judge Ngoron looked at the undisputed facts. Judge Ngoron looked at the deposition transcript of Donald Trump. He looked at what Donald Trump said the value of the properties were. And because Donald Trump wanted to pay less taxes, Donald Trump and the Trump kids argued that the valuation of Mar-a-Lago in real time, not after the fact, in real time to cheat on their taxes was valued at less than $26.6 million. They appealed an appraisal by the tax assessor, putting it at $26.6 million. And what the Trumps would do on their various properties is they would try to get all of these tax benefits. Take Mar-a-Lago, for example, where they would ask for all of the, there it is right there. Mar-a-Lago at tax time, Mar-a-Lago at loan time. And they would say, there's all of these historical easements and preservation easements and encumbrances and all of the things they placed on the properties so they could go to the tax assessors and they could say, look at all the things that we've done. As a result, this property is worthless. And then they would remove the encumbrances in their own imagination, when they would speak with banks to take out bigger, to take out loans that were massive and had very favorable loan terms, they ran this scheme with all of their properties. Judge Ingord was simply citing the undisputed facts and went through each and every one of Trump's properties and what the undisputed facts say. When Donald Trump at his deposition says things like, I don't even look at the statement of financial conditions. I just view my properties like the Mona Lisa. I make it up and whatever. It doesn't matter at all because Saudi Arabia will just buy whatever I want them to buy. Things that Trump actually said in his deposition, Judge Ngoron banged his fists during the summary judgment hearing and was like, no, that's not a thing. Enough is enough. You can't do that. So Popak, tell us about the order, but where do we go from here? Yeah, it's hard to believe it was Tuesday with the order and Monday, uh, just a day or so, this team is going to trial for the New York Attorney General against Donald Trump's lawyers. And apparently, based on a representation Donald Trump's lawyers made to Magistrate Torres 
in Florida involving the Michael Cohen case. Donald Trump is going to appear and needs to be there for strategy in the New York Attorney General trial in front of Judge Angoron because it's a bench trial, not a jury trial, starting on Monday. We'll see. Um, there's been reporting that the it's news to the court system that Donald Trump is coming and that if Donald Trump comes with all of his uh, black uh, SUVs and need for s- Secret Service security details. There hasn't been any coordination for his arrival arrival on Monday. So we will follow closely whether he arrives on Monday. It's not a televised trial, but there's a, there'll be people court watching in the courtroom and we'll be able to report on it. And then, of course, if Magistrate Torres was misled, meaning you've lied to a federal judge, that's a problem and we'll deal with that at the appropriate time. There's, I know there's a betting line as to whether Donald Trump's going to show up at all. But let's talk about what happened on Tuesday, what didn't happen on Tuesday, and what is left to be tried starting on Monday. The way it works in New York with the New York Attorney General, since 1956, everybody that occupies that chair has some of the most powerful, robust, muscular laws that they can use against fraudulent business activity in the state. In the state of New York where I practice, it's called persistent fraud, and it's under an executive law called 63-12. We call it the 63-12 powers of the New York Attorney General. There's another set of powers that 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 person has under what's called the Martin Act, which has to do more with securities fraud. But in this case, it's persistent fraud. And ironically, as noted by Judge Angoran in his own opinion, the development of the precedent in the area, the legal precedent in the area about the application of 6312 to fraudulent businesses just like the one here, the Trump Organization, Trump and all of his all of his executives, including those that have his last name, comes from a prior Trump case involving Trump University, in which the then New York Attorney General Schneiderman in 2016 established in a case before the appellate court that you and I are going to talk about that sits over Judge Angoran, the New York First Appellate Division. The First Appellate Division in 2016 in the, in the Trump University case said that there can be what's called a standalone 6312 persistent fraud claim, that the attorney general didn't have to have individual claims for like, although she has that here, insurance fraud, business record fraud, financial statement fraud. They can just have a one count, you're committing persistent fraud. And the the uniqueness of that is that particular count does not require the New York attorney general to prove intent or materiality, meaning you don't have to show that they intended the persistent fraud, just that it is objectively, reasonably assessed a persistent fraud. And you don't have to show that anything that they did was material, meaning it it was it it, it led somebody else to do something like a bank or an insurance company. Because things that are immaterial, you don't we don't normally prosecute or sue over under the standard of materiality. But but the standalone first count in the complaint that she filed a year ago, just a reminder, justice does move quickly. She filed that suit, New York Attorney General Letitia James against Donald Trump, Trump Organization, the CFOs, the executives, his trust that holds all of his assets just in September of last year. And she already got a judgment and we're looking at a trial to wrap this thing up for the billions of dollars that are at risk. That is velocity. In the 63-12 standalone claim, um, she also, she does, like I said, she doesn't have to prove those two elements. 
And that could be the end of the case, but that's not all. She also brought six other claims that have not yet been decided by Judge Angoran, and it will start on Monday. Particularly, she brought a business record fraud claim and conspiracy related to that. They doctored the books related to the inflation of assets improperly and deflation of assets to save money. Financial statement fraud, another crime in the state of New York, and the conspiracy around that. Insurance fraud, because they also over-insured property that wasn't worth it and and took advantage of insurance companies as a result. So like if Trump Tower had burnt down during the period of time, they would have collected on money they weren't entitled to because the asset wasn't worth what they said that it was th- that it was worth. And and so those are her remaining claims, but what is the real um when the judge granted summary judgment on Tuesday on the first claim, the standalone persistent fraud claim, he said we got to go to trial on the rest, but I'm going to give her two of the nine things that she's looking for as a remedy for the persistent fraud, I'll do that right now on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, he did what you outlined, Ben. He dissolved immediately upon the entry of that order on Tuesday, by Wednesday, all of the certificates of business and operation for all of those Trump organizations, the Trump Org, the Trump Inc., all the ones he uses to operate his business, there's there's dozens of them, um, all of them, including the trust that operates in New York as a business for its assets, had its business license, its, its business certificates canceled, and then he ordered the immediate dissolution of those of those items. Right, put them into receivership. It's what it sounds like. It's almost like bankruptcy, and appointed a receiver which is Barbara Jones, the former federal judge who's been the monitor for over a, about nine months when the judge found on a lower standard of proof that there was already persistent fraud. So Barbara Jones is just going to continue, but she's going to now dissolve and liquidate these, these, um, these companies. And, it, and the assets underneath them have to be addressed as well. But what is remaining is is the part that I said at the top of the podcast that will ultimately lead to the destruction, complete destruction of the Trump business empire and its ability to generate any new dollars. The issue of disgorgement is up for grabs in the trial, and that is not damages. It is taking from somebody who has committed fraud the monies that they've obtained as part of that fraud. It's we call it in the business ill-gotten gains. So you claw back the ill-gotten gains. And she has a number. She used to say, Letitia James, the attorney general, it was like 250. I don't think it's $250 million anymore because she subsequently increased the amount uh, that she thinks that Donald Trump has overinflated his his assets by $3.7 billion total. Plus, there's a very high interest rate in New York for prejudgment interest. I think this is at least half a billion dollars, and it could go well into the billions when she's done outlining for the judge through her witnesses uh, uh, all of the monies that they got because of the persistent fraud that they've been conducting, totaling it up, adding interest, and asking the judge to award it, meaning all these companies would have to pay it back. But what is in the new trial is even more devastating. If she's if she's a, if she's right and wins, she will ban Trump and his executives from ever being New York Corporation officers and directors ever again. There'll be a five-year ban on Donald Trump and his businesses acquiring any new real estate 
in New York. There'll be a five-year ban on him getting a loan from a bank that's chartered in New York. There'll be a five-year requirement that Donald Trump's personal financial statements are properly audited and given to all the victims of the fraud and whoever else he deals with. There'll be a permanent ban on Alan Weisselberg, the disgraced um, a former CFO who went to jail for six months for tax fraud already from him and his controller, Jeff McConney, ever serving in those roles ever again, permanent ban. And if she wins, she wants a new trustee to be appointed that she helps select to sit over all of Donald Trump's assets on the trust. That's if she wins. Now, on Wednesday, I'll leave it on this, Ben. On Wednesday, the day after this devastating ruling granting summary judgment on the one major persistent fraud claim, the lawyers there, you know, listen, they look like they got their head handed to them. Chris Keiss leading the way asked the judge, well, well, what do you see the shape of the trial on Monday, Your Honor? What, what do you think is going to happen there? You, know, you look like you'd see a ghost. And the judge turned to the New York Attorney General representative and said, hey, can we like slim this down a bit? Why don't you, have you considered dismissing the other six claims? You've already won on persistent fraud for a standalone claim. And they said, I give them a lot of credit. They said, no, your honor, we can't dismiss those other six counts because of the remedies that we're seeking. And, and they're right to set the evidential basis so that they're uh, confirmed or affirmed on, a, on any eventual appeal. They're going for that corporate death penalty, banning him from doing business in New York, making him stop buying real estate, making him stop taking out bank loans and getting him out of the business of being in business. And they feel they've got to put on their 34 witnesses and their thousands of pieces of evidence in order to support the remedies that they're seeking as part of the 63-12. And the judge said, okay, see everybody on Monday. So that that's it. And then we have finally, and you can talk about it, Ben, when you pick up, is the attempt, first attempt, to try to get the appellate court to do something. Because they were upset. Oh, we're going straight to the appellate court. I'm surprised they didn't have the papers already drafted. I would have done, I already had them drafted, expecting that Angoron was going to do just what he did and had them filed within a minute. They didn't do that. They've already had the appellate court say, Monday's fine with us. There's nothing to stay here. Keep going. And he's got that other case hanging out there that nobody's moving on at, at quickly at the appellate level, which is his, his attempt to sue Judge Angoron before the appellate court to get him to stop making rulings like this. And that hasn't been acted upon by the appellate court either. Well, you know, I think uh, the appellate division, first department, Donald Trump's uh, attempt to get them to intervene. He got one of the uh, appellate division uh, justices to kind of put it, I don't know, it ended up doing nothing. It was just like a temporary, you know, nothing pause before it went in front of the five justice panel. Um, and they said, they rejected the stay request. So th this thing's, this thing is absolutely going uh, to trial. And I want everybody just to rewind and take a listen to when Popak went through the remedies there. I mean, we're talking about a potential billion dollar judgment against Donald Trump and all of those other things preventing Donald Trump from doing business in the state of New York or doing business with businesses in the state of New York. And given that for Donald Trump, his entire life is one big fraud, is one big grift. At the end of the day, I think that this 
what's about to take place over the next 60 days here is going to be the most devastating thing in Donald Trump's life. And I'll just mention one other thing in passing, because you mentioned this federal magistrate judge down in the Southern District of Florida, who was hearing all these attempts by Donald Trump to try to delay his deposition being taken in the Michael Cohen case, where Donald Trump sued Michael Cohen for $500 million. Then Michael Cohen's like, uh, okay, well, I'm going to notice your deposition then. And Trump's tried to avoid the deposition like the plague, making every single excuse underneath the sun to avoid the deposition, including having to argue that he would show up to the New York attorney general case. So the magistrate judge in the Cohen case was like, okay, well, if you're going to show up that you made the representation, you're going to be there. So now Michael Cohen gets to depose you in New York. And I want to make sure you show up at the New York attorney general case. And, um, We'll have that deposition be seven to nine hours, and uh, Cohen can set the specific time of when it takes place. But what a powerful order there. So now Donald Trump has to actually go to New York, whether he's going to show up for this New York attorney general case. And now he gets to be deposed by Michael Cohen in the state of New York. So um, that backfired as well. And you know, I think Donald Trump's ultimately going just to dismiss the lawsuit that he filed against Cohen, because I can't imagine he's going to be able to sit there for a nine hour deposition. He's just too cowardly to do that. And finally, Let's talk about what's going down in Georgia, the peach state. As I mentioned at the outset, where things are not looking very peachy for Donald Trump and his co-defendants. First, let's talk about Scott Hall and Scott Hall's uh, guilty plea. Just so you know who this Scott Hall is. He's one of the RICO co-defendants in the Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis's case involving Trump. He's David Bossie's brother-in-law um, who served and Bossie served as a senior advisor to Trump and Pence in 2020, senior strategist for the 2020 re-election of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He's been around Trump's inner circle. So um, that's how this Scott Hall got involved in kind of Trump world. He was a bail bondsman from Georgia. He was one of the people involved in the Coffee County theft of election information, which implicates Sidney Powell, Kathy Latham, and numerous of the other co-defendants. So the timing of his guilty plea is critical here because you've got Ken Chesborough and Sidney Powell's trial because they asked for speedy trials. Well, that trial is about to start. So now you're going to have a cooperating witness who pled guilty at trial testifying against Sidney Powell and the co-defendants at this trial. So Popak, I want you to first tell us about Scott Hall, but then also with the speedy trial request that Ken Chesbrough and Sidney Powell made, boy, did that backfire as well, because you know, now they're trying to ask for all of these remedies. Like we want, you know, file this motion to dismiss this, you know, all these things. The judge is like just rejecting them. And also is like, is Judge McAfee's almost like, this is what you wanted. You wanted the speedy trial. Yeah. Maybe you could have come up with these more evolved motions if you were <laughs> on the regular track, but this is what you wanted. Make those arguments to the jury now. And then finally, Popak, if you can, I want you to do the full summary, yeah. then yeah. take us to Jeff Clark. And, and I'm going to do removal. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do I'm going to do it. I'm going to it's going to be like do a it. speed do round. It. It's going to be a speed round. Here we go. I mean, I'm going to do it a little bit out of order from what you what you did. I think okay. it'll make more it'll make more sense. 
first of all, trial October 23rd, we always thought it was just Chesboro and Sidney Powell, two disgraced lawyers for Donald Trump, involved Chesboro being the archi- one of the architects of the fake elector scheme, along with John Eastman and and uh, Peter Peter Navarro and Sidney Powell, co-captain of Team Crazy with Giuliani, with all the lawsuits that were filed, but also having hired a company along with the uh, the guy I'm going to talk about next, Mr. Hall, who broke in, well, not broken, was invited in by other election officials in Coffee County, a rural county in Georgia, to download election, um, private confidential election information, tamper with election machines, Dominion voting machines. Now you know why Sidney Powell is involved. Um, trying to look for, you know, evidence that, you know, Biden votes were, uh, Trump votes were flipped to Biden. Um, and so we thought it was just those two. But at a hearing just the other day in front of Judge McAfee, who, again, you know, we got mad love for, at least right now, about the way he is running his courtroom with intellectual integrity, honesty, consistency, um, you know, brevity. We get one-page orders, two-page, one-page order to make an anonymous jury for all to protect them from Donald Trump, two pages to deny motions to dismiss and quash the uh, indictment by Ken Chesborough. I mean, I, we love it. Brevity is the soul of wit, and he, he is moving. But he announced the judge that what he had said a week or so ago to Fawny Willis when, when she denied when he denied her request to put all 19, including Donald Trump, on the 23rd, he said, no, we're not going to do that. You, you come back to me with a better plan. Batch them up. We'll do the two here. And anybody that has waived their speedy trial, will do them at a later time in 2024. Come back to me with a plan. She said she, she nodded and said, I got it. But the judge announced on Wednesday this week that there were six of the 11 left over that had not waived their right to speedy trial. So he said, we might have to bring in new benches and new chairs in here and for my bailiff to make room. We thought it was a party of two, table for two, Chessborough and Powell. Could be a table of eight. We're not sure yet. And I've got to track the docket to see if that motivated some of these other people to waive their speedy trial so that they're not going to trial in three weeks. We'll find out. Could be eight people or some combination of that. That's one. Second thing is the judge turned to the prosecutor for Phony Willis, Mr. Wade, and said, um, are there plea deals being offered to either Mr. Powell or Mr. or Ken Chesborough? This is before we had the announcement of the bail bondsman flipping, turning state's evidence, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, for his role in the Coffee County uh, data corruption and data stealing. And, the, and Mr. Wade said... We are. We are thinking about it, um, and we're going to put something together, and we're going to individually propose something to both of these defendants, Judge. He said, okay, that's good. So what do we just learn? Powell and Chesborough are going to get a proposal to take a plea deal and not go to trial on the 23rd. Now we'll find out how how much of Team Crazy and MAGA they really are. Are they going to go all the way and find out if if a Fulton County, Georgia jury is going to follow Ken Chesbrough's mad scientist analysis, which is always wrong about constitutional rights and federal election law and state election law, and he thinks they're going to follow this and his madcap attack on 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 the laws. I don't think so. And and Sidney Powell, she might have been able to survive in Texas having her bar license pulled, but a Fulton County, Georgia, seeing a Sidney Powell in all her glory, she's not going to testify, but all the evidence that's going to be put against her in what the judge has said is going to be a three to five month trial, right? There'll be, it'll be like chapters in a book. 
There'll be a whole chapter on Ken Chesborough for weeks at a time, just the Ken Chesborough evidence, then the Sidney Powell evidence, then the evidence of the overarching conspiracy against all 19, keeping, you know, keeping track. So we learned a lot from that one hearing. Then in this, uh, at the start of the hearing, the judge denied quickly two motions filed by <coughs> Ken Chesborough. One, to argue that he had the, he, his, his entire indictment should be dismissed because he was just a lawyer and he has a justification defense. And, and uh, that's, thanks, judge. <laughs> it's nice seeing you. I'm out. And the judge says, not so fast. Um, that is not one of the things that Georgia law recognizes that I can dismiss and interfere with the criminal prosecution over. It may be something I'll think about for a jury instruction or maybe a affirmative defense that you can raise, but that's for trial. You're not getting out from under this because you're claiming you were a lawyer just given advice, which of course, given all the all the information in the indictment uh, and other things against Ken Chesborough, that is not what he's being indicted for, is just simply giving advice that other people used to commit crimes. He was involved with the criminal conspiracy, as alleged. He also denied Ken Chesborough's attempt to quash the subpoena to stop his emails that they picked up from MSN, um, Microsoft especially the ones he had with Rudy Giuliani and Powell and the rest from being used at trial. It was a motion to suppress the evidence claiming that the um, prosecutors had violated a Georgia statute about how attorney emails and data can be handled. And the judge, as we did on, on Legal AF, I did it with Karen too, pointed out with a highlighter, there's a section in the statute that says this statute applies unless the attorney is a suspect in the crime. And so he said to him, you're a suspect in the crime. That's why you're here. Look behind me. That's why it's a criminal court. Um, I'm being a little bit more um, uh, flippant than the judge was. He does it in like one page. But he said, the statute says, unless you're a suspect, sir, and you are a suspect, because I looked over the affidavit that you yourself filed supporting the search warrant. And the affidavit by Fawny Willis's investigator laid out that you are a co-conspirator co-conspirator involved with the crimes and laid out in, in gory detail all the things you were involved with. And then lastly, he said, and this thing about the lawyers raised that he didn't get a target letter. And the, this judge, just, just like Judge McBurney, who supervised the special purpose grand jury, said, there's no such thing as a target letter in Georgia. That is a federal concept in the Department of Justice manual, and it's not even required in order to indict somebody. Stop talking about targets. The fact that you didn't get a target letter, that's okay. The first time somebody learns that they are a target of a criminal investigation could be the day that the, pro that the um, investigators and the FBI or GBI pick them up in their house. That's okay. So those were quickly dispelled. He's going to deny all of these Chesborough attempts to dismiss his case that have been joined in by Donald Trump. Then later in the same day, very busy day, you had Scott Hall, former bail bondsman tied into the Trumps the way you outlined, who finally confessed to his crime and is going to cooperate. He's the guy that along with Sidney Powell, um, cyber ninjas, and then two election officials down in rural Coffee County, Georgia, that Donald Trump won 73%. Here's him in front of Scott McAfee, admitting to the crimes, admitting he's guilty, and saying that he's going to cooperate with the with the prosecutors, uh, which is his condition in order to do that. He has to surrender his firearm back to firearms again because he's not allowed to have that any longer. And he went in, he got invited in, Sidney Powell reached out, found Kathy Latham, election official, 
Coffee County, and Misty Hampton, the election clerk, convinced them to let her people in to download Dominion voting data to use for their nefarious purposes. And unlike the Watergate burglar, they just let them in and gave them a cup of coffee. And there's video of Kathy Latham and Misty Hampton showing these guys and Scott Hall around and showing them where the Dominion voting system machines are. In fact, the Cyber Ninjas guy left a business card next to one of the machines that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation found after that. And then they lied about it, Misty Hampton and and um, Kathy Latham. I just did a hot take on it. They lied about it in a video deposition taken by a, a, um, an organization looking for transparency in the election process when they said, oh, I wasn't even there when all that happened and I just let them in. And yeah, no, there's video of them there helping the guys, showing them what to do. So Scott Hall was dead to rights. He had made a phone call that got recorded by um, this transparency group three months later in which he said, yeah, we were in there downloading voter data. I mean, it's literally that, which is like that was that was his his confession, his admission. So, uh, I talked about in the hot hot take about weak links bring down organizations, including criminal ones. And the weakest links so far that I can see are Misty Hampton, uh, Scott Hall, and uh, Kathy Latham, connected to Sidney Powell, which dates back, of course, to um, uh, Donald Trump. And they're going to flip, and they're not the they're not the last. Hall will now give license and permission to other people to seriously consider taking deals that are going to be proposed if they haven't been already by the Georgia uh, prosecutors. And you're going to see more before the 23rd. And if they get convicted after that three or four months or whatever, even more, there's probably going to be five people left by the time Donald Trump is tried, everybody else cooperating with, um, with Fawny Willis. And lastly, we've got the federal judge who's like a goalie keeping out the pucks for all these crazies trying to get over to federal court with their criminal cases, get away from Scott McAfee. We've had Misty Hampton and the other fake electors try to get to federal court. We've had Jeff Clark, the former Department of Justice, low-level environmental lawyer who's claimed that he was just being a federal officer when he was involved with the conspiracy. And of course, we already had Mark Meadows. So we had a Judge Jones, the writing was on the wall for Jeff Clark, he was a at best at best a momentary head of the civil division for the Department of Justice. He was probably just an environmental lawyer and assistant attorney general. When on December the twenty eighth of twenty twenty, he wrote a letter on Department of Justice letterhead to try to inf- influence and corrupt the elections in various states, telling them that the depart telling them falsely that the Department of Justice. Um, was uh, investigating fraud in the election, and they should hold off on certifying the results of their election in order to put a pin in the whole thing. And he tried to push that on his superiors, the attorney general and the deputy attorney general. That letter writing alone is the reason Jeff Clark's been been prosecuted. And he wanted to go over to federal court and claim that he was a federal officer. But he had a nightmare hearing. I mean, at least Mark Meadows, when he lost, he tried to testify in front of the federal judge, and he lost so he waived his Fifth Amendment privilege. Those words are going to be used against him in court, and he lost. Jeff Clark took one look at that and said, well, I'm not going to testify. I'll just send in affidavits, sworn statements under oath, and see what happens. And what the judge said happened is you didn't carry your burden of proof. It's your burden to prove to me that you're a federal officer operating within your federal duties, and you have a federal defense, or you're not coming to federal court. 
And the judge said, yeah, I'm not buying any of this. There's no way that an assistant attorney general for environmental and resource management is responsible for election cases and interfering with elections. Sorry. And even if you were the civil division head for about 20 minutes, I just heard evidence in my courtroom from your pri- the person that held the job before you, because Fawny Willis brought in Jody Hunt. Jody Hunt currently is Cassidy Hutchinson's lawyer, but he was the head of the civil division in the Trump administration Department of Justice. And he said, and he was the guy that immediately preceded Jeff Clark in that seat. And he said, no, Judge, we, we don't handle election matters in the civil division of the Department of Justice. That's the civil rights division if voter disenfranchisement is involved, and that's the criminal division if crimes are involved, but that's not civil division. In fact, the judge even commented in his hearing um, that he, he credited the testimony of Jeff Clark's own assistant, Mr. Krulkowski, who said that he was shocked that he was being asked to write a letter on letterhead from his position as the civil division about election fraud, which didn't exist, and thought it was outside the scope of anything they were ever responsible for. And that's what the judge credited in saying, denied, go back to state court. And then he later in the day, he denied the ones brought by the fake electors who tried to argue that they were federal officers because they were, I don't know, fake federal officers and sent them back to federal court as well. So that's what's going on in Georgia. What does it mean? It means that on October 23rd, Two to eight of the 19 co-conspirators uh, in, this, in the RICO case are going to trial, many of those people. And the remainder, remainder of that group, including Donald Trump, who is also, before I, before I forget, has also waived his right to try to go to federal court. Donald Trump having seen Meadows go down in flames, Jeff Clark go down in flames, and the fake electors go down in flames in front of Judge Jones, federal Judge Jones, has said, "Mm, I'll take my chances with Scott McAfee, the state court judge. And he wrote sort of an obsequious, brown-nosing note to the judge, filing with the judge that said, "Uh, after further review, I'm going to be staying in state court. I will not be moving to go to federal court because we trust that the court will, you know, do justice and protect me and give me due process, you know, whatever. Judge is probably like, okay, file that away, (laughs) put that on the docket. Um, But what it means is Donald Trump, everybody is staying all 19 with Judge McAfee, as we predicted on prior episodes of Legal AF. And then Fawny Willis is going to have to get around to batching these, these trials with um, in, in 20, uh, in 2014. If they're right, that it's going to take, pardon me, three to five months, let's just say five months to try the first two, October, November, December, January, February, March. Now we're in March of 2024. That means likely, although I think she could try multiple cases, the judge is not going to allow her. She's going to have to finish these two. That means the earliest the Donald Trump case could be, could be in April, and he's already going to be in the March case for Judge Chutkin by that time, facing the May case in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, yes, he's got a lot to do besides being the nominee for the Republican Party for president. 
Well, we've reached the end of another episode of Legal AF. You may have noticed that my co-anchor, Ben Mysalis, has uh, left the show. He's had to do something else all related to Midas Touch and our protection of democracy. And we'll let you know what that is a little bit later. But I'll round out the show for him and in his honor at the end of Legal AF. Again, if you want to support democracy. Joe Biden, President Biden, in his recent speech at the McCain Library said, we all have to do things in the daytime to protect our democracy or by silence, we will lose it. I'm paraphrasing. And one of the ways that you're helping with democracy and helping with our justice system is to watch and follow Legal AF on this network. Free subscribe to the Midas Touch Network Help them get to 2 million subscribers on their YouTube channel. The bigger they are, the more your voice is heard and resonates. And everything I'm going to talk about next is free, and then we'll talk about other ways to support the network. Go on. You're watching here already, of course. Listen to us on the audio podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, and the rest. Go back and forth. It helps. Leave a review, give us a thumbs up. That helps with the algorithm, the ratings, if you will, for this particular show. We do hot takes. The leaders of Legal AF, Ben, me, and Karen, about every hour on the on updates on that intersection of law, politics, and justice, and bring it to you in these 10 or 15-minute bites where we individually analyze things, then we bring it all together on Wednesdays and Saturdays on Legal AF. Keep an eye on the hot takes. You can find us on Playlist when you go to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. Patreon is another way to do it. Ben gave a full description of that, uh, about how to support the Midas Touch network, which again has no outside investors. You guys are the investors in Midas Touch helping to support our sponsors helps. They're already pro-democracy because they're here with us. And of course, the Patreon account. Uh, for And then we've got, lastly, if you want to tell other people about your love for this network and for Legal AF, we've got merchandise because you, you got to have merchandise. And so these aren't free, but they're reasonably priced emblazoned with our logo designed by Karen Friedman at Niffalo. And, uh, one of, and an outside consultant to kind of give you options. You can mix and match the shirts there. And that's at MidasTouchStore.com. Uh, um, and we, we'll put a link for that here. So until Ben, Karen, and Mai's next hot take, until our next Legal AF at midweek, and this is Michael Popak on behalf of Legal AF, signing off with a shout out to the Midas Mighty and to the Legal AFers. Mm-hmm.